General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. We're assuming that everybody is still social distancing and in some form of quarantine, lockdown, or otherwise enforceable distancing from other people. Uh, so I decided that I'd talk to uh, Chris and Brett again tonight, catch up with the guys. And fortunately for me, Chris's governor hasn't banned him from talking to people from South Carolina, although just about everything else is illegal in the state of Michigan. Chris, Dude, how it's you coming. Doing? Dude, it's coming. Uh, trust me. <laughs> Whatever you guys do... Don't let this person on the Democratic ticket. I don't care if you're a Democrat <laughs> or Republican. You don't want her. Trust. She just told people with two homes they can't drive between their two homes. I, I'm waiting for in that the one, same for someone, state for someone to say you can't go back to your farm in Alabama. I'm like, okay, it's actually isolated. I would see fewer people there. It, it dude, it's yeah. mind-boggling. They're, they're actually closing sections of stores down. Well, the best part is your icon is only a, a, about half an inch from me, so we're not social distancing. So back the fuck up, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> But hey, you know, Chris isn't the only one on the, on the line tonight. We've got Brett. Brett from Florida. Your governor isn't a total freak show. What's going on down there? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I, I want to know what the the big, uh, like the top Pornhub uh, thing is for <laughs> M- Michigan now. The, well, so so that's the funny thing. So I I, I have to laugh. The, the top Pornhub search for Michigan, I didn't pay attention to. But I can tell you what the top Pornhub search for Florida is. It's boats. That shouldn't surprise anyone. Boats and hoes, man. Exactly. At least it's not goats. I think that might be Oklahoma where John is. But, you know, we're just going to leave that unsaid. But anyway, so let's talk about what we've seen coming out. I mean, the the good news is Warlords, quote, back to work, although it's been crickets from them for anything other than social media posts, uh, which which is good. So I'm, I'm not picking on Warlord. Um, so to the guys, John and Paul and all those guys, I'm, I'm not picking on you, but we're ready to see some stuff start rolling out. So hopefully they're figuring out how to do a little social distancing inside their production areas, inside all their work areas and not be standing on top of each other, breathing in resin dust. Man, I, you know, we were talking about it last time about things that we were wishing we should pick up or whatever. And I was thinking, man, I was bumming that one of the things that was on my list to get at Adepticon were the, um, expansion packs and i don't know why i don't just go on and order them i'm gonna just go and order them online because go apparently, to amazon yeah they're on yeah. amazon they're all yeah. on amazon yeah i think they're yeah. all on amazon so if the they're expansion- out noble knight games usually has them in wisconsin oh, okay. and they ship that, super quick that was going to be suggestion number two so I, yep. I love the guys at uh, noble knight they picked up the name and all the stock from the war store and kind of carried their banner on so you will not hear me say anything bad about Noble Knight games other than they have a whole big cool stockpile of stuff I'd like to buy. Uh, but yeah, some of that stuff's out. So I even tried to see if I could find some of the uh, resin aircraft like the P-47s, the P-40s. I couldn't find those. Maybe they're hiding somewhere on, on Noble Knight's site or somewhere on Amazon didn't see it. The P-47s are the only ones Noble Knight didn't have the other day. Ah, I okay. got 262s, P-40s, and uh, 190Gs. And I got the respective aces for all of them, including Gabritsky, who is the one from the the uh, from the jug. But they didn't have the jugs in; they just had the one, the little individual ace pack with him. So I got that. But they said that they had stock coming; they just didn't get them in yet. Okay. See, okay. see that's well, the one thing I can purchase and not feel bad about. It. I've kind of like programmed myself: just look away, don't order anything, because I have that stack of resin. 
right now. But you should hey. never feel bad about paying for jugs. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Top well, South could, Carolina search. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely get some exta- expansion packs and feel good about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and so the expansion packs are out there. At least most of them were last time I looked on Amazon. So you get that and get that quickly. Um, Warlord still has the PDF sale going on. So if you aren't like me and you didn't slip and fall in the middle of the PDF aisle, uh, I think I'm broke now, but I have plenty of PDFs to keep me going. Uh, between those I picked up and then, you know, asking uh, asking guys, hey man, does has anyone seen the PDF for whatever old out-of-print game is out there? So I'm still kind of doing my internet search for things that have gone the way of the dodo because they're like 30-year-old games, but thankfully somebody scanned somewhere. Dude, I've got a site for you. But you're, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to find it. It's like in Ukraine. No, no, no. Pornhub is actually hosted out of the main part of Russia, not out of Ukraine. Oh, okay, sorry. No, that's how we're talking. <laughs> no, about. this was some site. They had like, they had like Gamma World, and they, they oh, had that, games. That would be bad. Oh my god, they had like all the TSR stuff, all the stuff from way back that you cannot get your hands on anymore. Top secret. They had villains and vigilantes. Um, I loved that, by the way. I love yes. that game. It was one of my favorites. So yeah, let me let me see if I can dig that up and see if they still exist or if the the Russians took that part of Ukraine back yeah, and they, shut they, the server they, down. Um, they may have, well, or, I, or Ivan inherited the server and he's still running it and making money off of it. But yeah, there was a great site out there for that kind of stuff. My problem is I go out to Noble Knight every time they get another batch of either estate sales from all of us old fat high blood pressure war gamers when we keel over uh, and I see some of the stuff that rolls in there and I'm just like, Oh, I would love to buy a copy of that. And, and so I have to kind of tell the story cause I don't think I mentioned it last podcast. So obviously amongst us older wargaming types who've been playing for a long time, uh, there's a little bit of pride in, uh, in all the old war games that, uh, that we've got that we may have only played once, but, uh, but we're still happy we had them and, and once played them. And it's kind of our badge of honor of how old and how far back can you go. And I think I got in one of those cases of one-upsmanship between uh, me and a couple other older Blood Red Skies players about how far back can we reach, to, back to old Steve Jackson games and old uh, Ziploc bag games. And, and it was funny. I mean, people were digging stuff out of footlockers in their closet in this chat thread. Uh, and, uh, and I did get trumped on a couple of them. There, there were a few that I just couldn't go back any further. Um, but I was happy to, to break out at least a couple, uh, a couple late 1970s games that people like, Oh, I haven't seen that one in like 20, 30 years. Yeah. You got me beat. My trunk goes back to about 84. Yeah, yeah. You know, once again, the, so. the, both the the benefit and the curse of having parents that had a bookstore in the oh, yeah. late seventies. I mean, I I remember a lot of those games rolling in fresh off the Avalon Hill Press, and just the ah, the smell of counters and map boards. Sorry, as I'm taking my tequila drink here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did something during the just yesterday, actually, as part of this lockdown i shaved my beard i don't think you guys have seen me without a full beard whoa whoa no yeah yeah i just i got a wild hair no fun intended brett if you think you're making money the top search uh, topic for florida was not shaved so it was boats. So it's boats. Yeah. Well, I look so, like I'm 12 you're not be now. In there. <laughs> so, That's awesome. It made me think about it because you're talking about old gamers I, and stuff. I, I look like I'm 12. 
I threatened my wife with the fact that I might shave my beard just to kind of reset everything while I'm already in lockdown and no one's going to see me other than going to the grocery store. Uh, she just laughed at me. She's like, you're not going to do that. You hate how you look without a beard. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I yeah. look like I'm Well, I could, I could always afford to shave at any time because I grow it in like four days. It's a full beard again. Yeah, exactly. You just think about it and all of a yeah, sudden you Yeah, Brett was just pulling, the, pulling like women when they cut bangs in their hair when they hit 40. It's like, it's like that, that one way that they can go back in time a little bit. Yeah, Chris, I didn't, I didn't know that. Chris saw me clean shaven. When we first met, I was always clean shaven. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you you kept it pretty tight. I'm doing the opposite right now. I I am shaving, but I have not. I'm not. You know, not getting a haircut. And I've officially declared that I'm not cutting my hair until we're free again in the state of Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Once you so, join the Red Brigade or whatever it is they have up there, you know, you, you can see my handle nights. The People's Republic of Michigan. Well, I was about to say you can you, you can pick a side there. You can join the Red Brigades and you know be a, a college guy. You can join. You got the, the militia, militia too, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I was about to say. And I'm and I'm sure there's some other choice out there politically for you, so feel free. All right, well, so a couple other things, and, I, and I'll mention it here because, like I slipped and fell on the PDF file uh, with Warlord, uh, if you enjoy solo play games and you're saying, I'm stuck, you know, in my house, not really playing on, t- on Tabletop Sim because, you know, I really don't like these newfangled things called computers, uh, and I can't figure out how to take the mouse and move a little airplane on the screen to move it on the table. If you don't want to do that, your company is Danverse and Games. So they have Hornet Leader, B-17 Leader, a lot of their different solo play games out there, and they're having a 20% off sale. So apparently the good news is he and his wife can still drive in the lockdown to their storage unit, package things up, and ship them out. Uh, so I'd say if you need solo play games, go over there. Uh, there's a lot of other cool ones, Down in Flames, which is normally a two-player game. Uh, you can play that solo as well. So there's uh, there's plenty of things to keep you occupied if you don't want to jump onto the tabletop sim bandwagon. Um, and that's fine, because that's where I've been devoting my life, and I feel like if I hear that stupid intro music one more time, I'm going to run screaming, but that's okay. So over to the hangar. Uh, I know I haven't bought anything new. Uh, Chris, have you managed to have a third Malta map show up on your door at this point? I have not, and I apologize for not getting the other one shipped. It is still sitting here staring at me. Um, It it doesn't affect you. It affects Brett. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) But yeah, I I promise. I can't play by myself. (laughs) Well, you can. (laughs) That's another search. Um, That's that's a different search on, uh, on Pornhub. But yeah, we'll we'll get that shipped out pretty soon. Um, other than that, no, I haven't had anything new show up. Um, just been working on stuff that I already have. I did actually. What am I saying? I did have some stuff show up. All my stuff from GHQ came two days ago. Oh, and oh nice. I hate I you. Should I have, truly hate you. I've got all five of the carrier. I mean, all four of the carriers from the Japanese side, and all three of the carriers from the American side for Midway, and they are gorgeous. Now, okay, so so have you taken them out of the blister packs yet? I have took you? one carrier, the Akagi, oh. out. And, and I started. And how is it. the side detail? Oh, I'll, dude, I'll tell you, the, it is gorgeous. But I'll say this: the problem with the Japanese carriers is they all—they were most of them are converted cruisers, which they, they they did them really realistic. You know, it was basically a flat deck that was put on a ship that was really odd shaped underneath. So they have all these support struts. Yeah, all of those support struts are actual lead pieces. Oh yeah, so, so assembling it is a, is a total pain in the dick. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. going to be a freaking nightmare. But but it's gorgeous. And you know, worst case scenario, I've already looked. I've got some plastic stock that is about the same size of it in a generic stack stock pack I got. So I actually may just go the plastic route because it would be easier to get the plastic in there than it would be the the little fiddly lead bits that don't have the right points. So it would actually right. be able to get that in there. So I'll be playing with those as soon as I'm done with school. I got all the decals in. 
So those things look gorgeous, by the way, Brett. Thank you for that line on flight deck decals. So that's the next big thing I'm working on. So I got my last two mosquitoes, the Polar Squadron almost done. They've been kind of, I did pause on that because of school. And um, I got my LA-5s finally through the priming and the base coating process. And those should be painted this week. Well, I'm going to make a pitch for, for people who have, are willing to spend the money. Uh, because I, personally, I think Shapeways can be just as expensive. But if you have not seen the difference between a GHQ 12400th ship and a Shapeways one, you need to be buying from GHQ if you really want that level of detail. Well, I've got the Akagi, and I've got the Akagi. It's a the GHQ ones are one twenty four hundred scale. I right. may be misspeaking. I'm pretty sure. No, nope, you're right. They're one twenty four. Yeah. Well, I've got a one twelve hundred scale, two times as big Akagi that came from Shapeways, and some of the nicest resin that they cut. It is nowhere near as detail or pretty. Yeah, and I'm going to take those two models when they're both built and put them side by side. And you guys will be able to see a one-to-one comparison. And oh, by the way, the Shapeways model from Shapeways was two times as expensive as the lead carrier was from GHQ. It was $12 from GHQ yeah, for the Akagi. I, I, I love Shapeways. And you know, there's a lot of stuff for 40K and for some other things that I order from them for dust and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is some of these pre-done model lines uh, in metal are just... They're just amazing in the level of detail. So if you want something really cool and a lot of detail to paint, absolutely go with GHQ. Um, you want something fast and off the press, then I guess go to Shapeways. But I, I think you'll pay twice as much anyway. Well, the uh, big the thing, too, is the fact that flight deck decals, decals are yeah, built. scaled for, for They're not just scaled. They were manufactured for the GHQ carriers. So they are guaranteed to be a perfect fit on every one of the carriers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's been a number of questions we'll talk about a little bit at the end. Uh, but people keep asking, hey, what scale targets do you use? And we can give you a couple suggestions when we talk about that. Okay. So, Brett, I guess you bought some paint. You don't have enough paint? Need some more? <laughs> yeah. Well, I got some more uh, mission model paint for some 262s. I just didn't have the you know, the exact colors I wanted to do for the Nowatney uh, Squadron. So I got just those just came in the mail uh, yesterday or today. And, uh, I also picked up a uh, another one of those Vallejo Air War series kits for uh, the one I got is actually RAF uh, Southeast Asia Air Command. And a funny thing happened. I was Google searching or whatever, looking on Amazon for the for the kits, and they have all the Air War series stuff on Amazon. But I couldn't find anything for RAF colors. And they make one. They make an uh, I think it's a Battle of Britain special set. And it really all I needed was the the dark earth and the dark green and whatever. But I think what's happened is that those colors are in the Southeast Asia box, plus some colors that are unique for Southeast Asia. So they just make the one maybe, I don't know. So that's the one that was, I got that. And guess what? Didn't use it because I decided we were talking about this. I think last, last uh, podcast that, uh, you know, about paints and how I'm personally quite comfortable with GW paints. And I have a lot of them. I'm, I use some reference photos for Spitfire and, used some colors I had and made it happen with some careful washes and stuff. And I'm actually quite happy about it. And uh, we were talking a little bit about it before we started recording, but it fits in that look, it fit in nice with my preference for kind of a weathered appearance anyway. So I never even opened the box. I started painting before I got the, uh, the box set for the actual RAF colors and I like it. Well, I love the Vallejo sets, but the problem is I have, I have two different, uh, Royal Air Force ones. I almost bought a third one for desert. If I have another fucking dark earth 
bottle of paint, I'm going to lose my mind. So between that and then my regular uh, Vallejo non, uh, the non-airbrush paints, just their regular model colors. So I've started uh, kind of going out and, and cherry picking the colors I needed, which can get a little expensive. Um, but that at the end of the day is why I ended up going out and buying Azure, Mediterranean, Sea Blue, and a couple of those other ones individually, because I would have paid the same amount to buy a box kit and literally got more of dark earth and more of dark green that I didn't need. All right. I went ahead and got the kit because I don't have any RAF color. So I thought, well, what the heck, you know, I've got a ton. That would be my case if I tried to do something like that with Luftwaffe stuff because I have like all the Luftwaffe colors minus, well, that's exactly what I did for mission models. I needed literally one color. So I ordered one color, Uh, but I don't have any RAF stuff. I recently did the same thing for the the Russian stuff. I didn't have any uh, Russian colors, so I just got a box set, so now I'm all stocked up on that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why Chris didn't use that opportunity to make fun of me and go, hey, Doug, why don't you send him all your paints because you're not using them? <laughs> well, I'll I mean, make the joke for it, you. It was an easy shot. Yeah. So, but um, <laughs> but um, you took it yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's because you were but too it, slow. I, I know. I also bought some more paint, so I I because I've been doing a lot of RAF stuff, I went out and got the RAF, I think it was 1940 to 45 day colors or something like that. It's the one that's got the the actual green, the actual brown, because the AK ones I have are a little bit they're a little bit satiny, a little bit bright, and um, I wanted some that weren't. So um, and I mixed for my mossies. I kind of made my own PRU blue, so I went out and got the right one. Um, not that I needed it, but I I was I didn't have anything else to shop for, so <laughs> well, I don't think. So Squadron's really good too. Those guys turn stuff around in like twenty four hours. So and I, you can get individual bottles from them on all the Vallejo and the other brands. So I got one box set from them, and there was one color that wasn't available um, in any of the box sets that I wanted. Actually, I had every color that was in the box that it was in, so I just was able to order that one tube with the the one set. And, so it was pretty yeah. cheap. All three of the blues I needed were not in any of the sets. That was that was driving me nuts. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll buy three bottles of blue paint by themselves, which is like 15 bucks when I'm done. <laughs> yeah, That's all right. It's what Amazon's for. Well, yeah. enough about this hobby bullshit. I don't care about hobby stuff. Brett, you've been playing tabletop sim. Make me feel better about myself. Tell me I haven't been wasting my life doing this. Oh, I like it. I got a couple games in. I've, kind of, I've really got the itch, too, because, you know, I, I keep pestering you guys on messenger like hey anybody uh out there want to play some tts because i i can actually get games in now (laughs) yeah yeah i know it's kind of crazy that way yeah so yeah it's been fun you know i've said it a bunch of times i feel like it's a you know just about as true a translation of of the actual game in a digital Well, except your dice don't suck so it's not a true translation that's true yeah well you know like you said, I don't use the box dice, the box set dice anymore. So I think my dice rolls have maybe improved, but yeah. yes. They're... I just want to clarify this for everyone. So standing there at Coastal Con, Brett doesn't like turn to me and go, hey man, can I borrow another bag of dice from you? He seriously walks across the entire room, goes to a vendor and buys an entire new container of Chessex dice just because his dice were sucking that bad from the starter set. <laughs> it's true. It is true. I've, I roll much better on TTS. I could say that. Yeah. <laughs> Except it, it, I find that I roll sixes often, but not when I really, not for shooting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just except for when I actually need them. Yeah, right. So, but yeah, I've been playing some games and I like to see, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit, but some of the minor tweaks, you know, I know you said that, you know, the whole idea with this thing is it to really as closely as possible represent what you get in the basic box set. And I think you've really, you've really hit on that. And I think we're going to see some, some additional tweaks that really give you all the things that come in that 
uh, aesthetically and, and even beyond. But uh, I like some of the little tweaks you've most recently made with the dice roller. And uh, Well, so just kind of tell people about the games you all are playing because, I mean, it's been fairly canned. I mean, it's not like we've got a million different airplanes in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we've been playing, uh, I guess, Mission 1 and Mission 2. Uh, the last couple of games, I think, Steve and I played, we used uh, we used the Doctrine cards and the theater cards for the first time in, in our action deck along with the trait cards and it was a lot of fun and I like you know the searchable function you have all the cards in there and you can search them and have a little conversation about which ones you want to do uh, what Steve and I did last couple times it was kind of fun because I know we've played a lot of open deck lately he and I intentionally played uh, I don't know what you call it besides maybe standard deck instead of open deck we actually you know had had the cards that we had to draw from and shuffle and everything and that was kind of fun because we got the sort of exercise the mechanics of the um, tabletop simulator you know how it has that functionality for shuffling and drawing and making discard piles and all that stuff so we did that and it was fun and it was kind of an interesting departure from what we did before and it injected some randomness that i'm sure is you know obviously a part of the basic game the the open deck is is um probably a uh maybe more non-standard way of playing the game uh it's a fun way to do it but it it made it interesting because you know sometimes you just wouldn't get what you'd hope to get because it wasn't laying right there in front of you so it was fun yeah so if, I, you, I, if you had to explain to anyone what the the best way to make tabletop sim intuitive for them is i mean what's kind of your recommendation after having picked it up learned from kind of ground zero how to use tabletop sim and blood red skies at the same time well let's see i i think for me you know moving moving the aircraft around and all that is pretty intuitive already there's a little tutorial that comes when you first download tabletop simulator and that tells you everything you need to know about how to just move objects in pretty much any game in tabletop simulator of course it applies to what we do in in uh, blood red skies uh so i was i felt well equipped with that but i learned a couple things as i played a couple games you know i know the the measurement tools and the um you know like the distance template and all that is in the on the side table and you can certainly use those, but it's once you get handy with panning around the table and hitting the P key to get that direct overhead view, it's pretty easy. Just grab things, hit the tab key and sort of your measurement tools are built in. I I find that to be the quickest and easiest way. And you kind of get handy with um, grabbing all your tokens together. There's a way where you can click and drag the mouse to grab more than one item. So when you're clearing your tokens, just kind of drag your tokens into one little pile and then, essentially select all of them and then pull the whole pile of, of uh, um, activation chits to your sideboard so you clear the table quickly. Little things like that. I, I think after maybe two games, I think the confidence level and you know the competence and just panning and moving and all that, it's pretty much second nature after you've done it just a couple nice. of games. Okay. Well, good. Good. You know, the, I'm a, a bad example of anyone trying to use tabletop sim because I played with it for a while um, a couple of months ago, kind of put it down just because I was I was looking at something uh, on it and said, yeah, yeah, whatever, that's too hard. I think I was looking at 40K stuff. And then with this change, I was like, okay, let's develop something for it. And then like you kind of made fun of me last time, when you spend 50 plus hours in tabletop sim, you're like, dude, how do you not know how to pick up a model and hit the tab key and, and get your ruler? So uh, sometimes I'm, I'm kind of the, the worst person to give advice on those things. Yeah, it doesn't take long. It's it reminds me a little bit about the learning learning curve of playing the actual game, right? Remember how oh, the yeah, very first yeah. games we played, it took a little while to figure out. Oh wait, what, what's the 
what's the order of operation? It's the same kind of thing, yeah. except maybe you're not working order operation. You're working actually like, how do you grab stuff? And, and oh, how do I change advantage state? It's, but once you've done it a couple of times, it's super easy. Yeah. Well, and I think the interesting thing for, for us is uh, what, what I'll call kind of the social dynamic. Once you get on a discord server and so you're talking, you know, real time audio with everybody else, you're moving stuff around the board. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. The, the habit patterns you bring over from the the regular game on the table that all of a sudden you find yourself saying you know kind of you know i don't i don't have the the quick reference card isn't really sitting right in front of my face it's i got to go over there and look at it so i got to remind everybody to go okay hey we're on advantage 3s anybody got an advantage 3 hey i've got an advantage 3 okay you go you over there with the bombers move your advantage 3 man i forgot to mention that when you were asking me and that's a critical part of it is you really can't just play this by itself. You have to, at the very least, be on a phone call. You know, put your phone on speaker and and yeah, call your buddy. Yeah, at least get on a Facebook chat and call your buddy. Exactly. Yeah, do have some way where you actually have an audio with the person on your table so that you can do that. And you're exactly right. I mean, it doesn't work without that. And it, the system is built in where there's there's Discord. You can you can just go directly and get Discord. That works out pretty easy. Uh, but even just We've had to do it before where sometimes maybe Discord just didn't work for some reason. And so we just call each other and put it on speakerphone, and that works fine. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. That That's an easy way to figure it out. And uh, At least as long as you've got the, the ability to have that real-time conversation, it, in my mind, that makes the rest of the gameplay pretty easy um, because there's times you can go, you know, hey, dude, did we forget to do Advantage 2s or, or things like that like you would in, real, in the real game and not worry about you know missing some key part. And I, I can't wait to get to the point where we can start doing things like, um, oh, what's the mission? Um, is it mission seven? I want to do mission seven really bad, but I know I'm getting ahead of myself. That's outside of the basic box set. But anyway. <laughs> You're way ahead of yourself. Well, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. There is there is nothing uh, to prohibit people from doing any one of the missions in either uh, the box set or an airstrike other than models. And, and so I apologize. Uh, you know, a number of us have talked about models and guys have said, hey, can I get this model, that model, this airplane? I want this this nation's aircraft. Um, I know we need bombers and we know we're looking at that. That's that's an update that might happen this week, maybe, maybe next week, who knows? Um, but uh, kind of the, the big concern has been fixing the last of the tools, making the last of the gameplay tweaks that we have control over. Um, and of course, Roz right now is really trying to find a way to make movement easier. And she's going through and taking a look at some of the code uh, and trying to find a way where you can select a model and you know press a number and it will move it that many inches forward, back, left, right, whatever you need to do. Uh, and then you can tweak it from there with uh, with pivots, et cetera. Well, I'm really happy that you didn't wait to, you know, you didn't let perfect get in the way of good. I mean, there's a lot of things, maybe aesthetically, maybe mechanics wise, even, you know, down to you know, some chits that come in the box set that aren't yet on the table. And I know they're coming, but I'm glad you got it out there because it's playable now. And so if there's, if there's folks out there that are reluctant to try it, or maybe have tried it and seen that maybe something was missing, like the, I don't know, you didn't see the DO 17 chit and you're like, what? That's missing. I can't play. Just play, play (laughs) with a buddy, you know, six V six, whatever it is, those things are coming and it's, it's, it's great. It's only going to get better expanded all that from here. So Chris probably remembers this happening because I'm pretty sure he was still in Afghanistan with me when it happened. I subscribe to the Cortez style of leadership. My theory is I'm going to make you do something really uncomfortable, push you outside your comfort edge, 
our comfort zone, and I'm going to burn the freaking ships. So that way we have to figure out what we're doing. Chris, do you remember when I stole the Tactical Air Command Center in Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> so I'm one of those guys that, that I can't take staff in action. And, and like Brett, Brett says, I can't take achieving that perfect solution before we flip the on switch. That's why I'd be a terrible software developer. Um, so long story short, I have a well-documented, uh, including in my fit reps, history of burning my ships when I get to the new world and saying, we're going to figure it out. And really, that's what we need to do with, with Tabletop Sim right now. I think most of the things we need are there. There's a few more tweaks. I want to make some more chits. I want to get in there, but we're pretty close. And no, Chris, you can't tell any stories about me stealing the tack. No, I I don't even know if that's legal. What's going on with the <laughs> exactly. captain from the freaking Theodore Roosevelt? Yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of keeping my tongue on a lot of things right yeah. now. The statute of limitations, so, I'm not sure, has gone out. Uh, yeah, the, the Michigan Stasi. I mean, I'm one step from being arrested from those guys already. But. <laughs> Will you be informing on anyone today? <laughs> they do. They've asked. They've, the freaking are freaking. Oh my gosh, the Attorney General of the State of Michigan set up a tip line for neighbors to rat on their neighbors. That. Is so unawesome. How so uncool. Orwellian so, is this, so, man? Yeah. Well, but but this shouldn't surprise you. I mean, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna take a, a step away from politics and stay uh, yeah. step into gaming and say it shouldn't surprise you because the world that we deal with online and social media with gaming and the fact that all it takes is one person running out there and going, "Hey, man, I heard this about a game. Oh man, that place sucks. I hate that company. I hate that game oh, yeah. system. You know." And everybody piles on, and it's this. This bizarre feeding frenzy—I don't—I don't know what to call it—of of, of kind of ratting out people for not supporting the little guy, and I kind of yeah. get that feeling with with current day politics. But anyway, that's enough of a political rant right now. Yes, <laughs> we'll have no more of that. But anyway, so let's talk about kind of the main topic: uh, what the heck we're doing these these weeks, what's keeping us uh, sane, what we've been uh, kind of learning about some games. Uh, I will start off by sharing. I've been having a wonderful time, also a frustrating time, playing Hornet Leader. So if you've never played that from Dan Verson Games, it's a uh, solitaire game simulating, you know, 1990s era F-18 operations off the carrier. Um, it's it's fun, but even as Dan himself said when he put out Hornet Leader 2, uh, he kind of went back, looked at the first one and said, hmm, this game didn't age well. It's really complex. A lot of die rolling, lots of dice modifiers, lots of charts. So uh, it is it is not a game, at least the original iteration, for the, uh, for the weak of heart or those who don't want to dig into charts. But Dude, time- I just looked that up. That is just – that's just a pile of counters – car oh my god oh it gets worse so so That's hornet painful. leader is awesome hornet leader is awesome compared to the next game and i will blame john russell well i really can't blame him because i asked him to send it to me so in the process of doing a lot of Vietnam research, I'd run across a couple games I hadn't played. And I said, hey, you know, that's kind of cool. They're, they're older 1980s, 1970s, 80s build games that I never played, knew they were out there. Let's try them. Yeah, I know why I never played them, because they were freaking complex. So I asked him to send me Rolling Thunder, which seems like a really cool game if I want to fly every F-105 and, and F-4 and MiG-17 that's in the target area, uh, actually entire in the entirety of North Vietnam, if I want to actually fix their airspeeds, fix their dive angles, um, and do all that. Holy cow, is that a complex game. Uh, really cool ability to learn how to write or not write a board game. Um, but, oh my God, I forgot how complex some 1980s games were. Of course, Brett doesn't have that problem because he didn't play games in the 1980s. Hey, I've been checking out that that Facebook page, that Aerial War Games. 
Oh yeah, uh, there's some cool stuff in there. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you know I'm not familiar with a lot of those games, but you know you're talking about some of these older games. So you've seen a lot of stuff on those yeah, so, there. So a lot of those are trips down memory lane for me. Um, even even those that I didn't play. So there's there's a number of them that I remember coming out at the same time were games I just never picked up. Um, but then there's some like uh, like Rick Tovin's War and and Luftwaffe and some other ones that were staples of of me growing up in the board game community. So along with Squad Leader, um, Panzer Leader, all those different games. Do you ever play Boots and Saddles? I never did. I, I remember that game. Yeah, I played that uh, I a never little did. bit. That's That was kind of like Warsaw Pact, Full the Gap, Helicopters. Yeah, I, I, and I remember the cover. I can, tanks I can, and, yep. I never, never played that. Did you enjoy it? Was it fun? So I did, but I, it was at that point I was playing. It was one of those things as hanging out with the older guys. You know, it was like, all my buddies brothers so we were kind of like we were allowed to play but it was like here's your three counters <laughs> so yeah exactly was, we're not going to give it, you a whole it, army to run exactly there's a lot of it's another one of those games there's a lot of depth to it i mean you're moving individual units around infantry units and you're that actually was, you can actually that was game move air workshop, assault right? and so i cannot I think, remember i think so yeah i'm, so I'm actually I looking up so. as we speak so yeah, I just found yep, Boots it. Boots and Saddles Air Assault Module, yep. 1984. Yep. Yeah, that was a fun I, game. Uh, I just remember. I mean, we lived there, so it was kind of neat. Our dads were out playing war, doing the fold the gap, and we were <laughs> playing fold the gap on the tabletop in yeah. housing area. So, I remember that coming out. I remember seeing the box, and I never picked it up. Um, yeah. Well, there and, and you know the funny thing is there were there were a number of those from Game Designers Workshop that I never actually picked up and played. I had friends that played you know games like uh, Air Superiority and some of those other ones um, that kind of now in hindsight you know were time no issue. I certainly would love to sit around and play these things, but uh, also because we're in social lockdown, I don't want to sit there and push counters around by myself, which is kind of the problem with with uh, Rolling Thunder right now. That's a It's a really fascinating game because the level of detail, I'm like, oh my God, if I've got to run both sides in this game, that's twice as much shit to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I will lose my mind. So Chris, what other games do you remember from the uh, golden era of board games back in the, uh, the 80s and early 90s? You know, I wasn't a huge board gamer, but I, I can tell you there were a lot of role-playing games that were kind of run out around that time that were kind of like one-offs. And one of the games I broke out the other night out of my my box of fun that I've got here is a game called Paranoia. And it was... Um, I, I loved Paranoia. Oh, God, it was so much fun because it was like you had like 12 different secret societies on the wherever you lived. And you, there were five of your individual characters. So it wasn't a big deal if you got your character killed because you had five clones. And the whole thing was nobody knew who was doing what to who. It's kind of like it's a little Orwellian space drama. Um, everybody spying on everybody. It, it was a fascinating game. It was that I think that was one of the games I had the most fun with. And then we already mentioned the other one that I played a lot was Vi Villains of Vigilantes. I mean, that was yeah, before yeah. Marvel ever thought about putting a role playing game out, which they I think they did about four years after Villains of Vigilantes came out. But it was basically D and D for superheroes and the ability to completely roll up a superhero there was like hundreds of powers you could have so you could you could really tailor around and do some crazy stuff and that was that was a great game because well, you played bad guys I was, trying to, I was trying to dig that back up from the for the original one because i remember that and i i remember it just being so cool because it it was uh so much more open-ended than a lot of other um a lot of other kind of role-playing games out there yeah it came out probably 
I want to say 87, 88 time frame is when it really got big. So right before I came back from Germany as a teenager, but yeah, it was, it was a blast just because it was so modular. I mean, it was so easy right. to play. There wasn't, they didn't hit you with like huge books or either. I mean, everything was pretty, pretty simple. You know, it was kind of like playing basic D and D. It wasn't anything outside that realm. So yeah, it, you had a, yeah, exactly. you had a couple charts you had to remember, but damage was pretty self-explanatory. It was basically based on just a D 20 game system. But yeah, those, those were the two biggies. I played a lot of star frontiers. Um, well, so that was going to be my Star next Frontiers comment. As soon as guy. you mentioned Villains and Vigilantes, I was going to mention Star Frontiers yeah. because yeah. because Star Frontiers, Villains and Vigilantes, Top Secret, and Boot Hill. I've got Top Secret and right next to me in the locker is Top Secret. I've got Star Frontiers in there. I've got Nighthawks in there, which was kind yes. of like the space combat yes. game like for Star Hawks. Frontiers. I've got a copy of that in there. And I've got all the old Gamma World stuff. So Gamma World, we hit on for about a year. That became, it was like right when they were doing all those post-apocalyptic films. So we kind of got into that whole TSR sci-fi post-apocalypse, you know, Mad yeah, Max kind of thing. I play a lot of Gamma World. I had uh, a lot of the, the guys older than me did. Um, and it's funny, for whatever reason, I kind of, played in the D&D world uh, in my younger years and then ended up moving to Star Frontiers uh, when that rolled out uh, kind of in the, I guess that was what, mid-80s that it and Nighthawks came out. Um, so yeah, it's kind of funny. And I'm, I'm sitting here just even looking at, at Wikipedia page for uh, uh, Villains and Vigilantes and I'm like, oh yes, I totally remember this. <laughs> Fantasy Yeah, I've still got the box sets. Next time you come by, feel free to freaking oh, go through it. I've got the Trunk of Shame, which I reclaimed from my parents about probably about seven years ago and it is literally it's you know those um inserts for the palcons the, yeah, the yeah. green ones that have the sliding top for them yep it's like a giant trunk that's that's waterproof it's one of those that i that i scored during the freaking first goal for and it's just it's completely full of role-playing games all my hard edition manuals. I still have all of the old freaking D and D manuals, and then I've got, I think, all the way back to issue like seventy three of Dragon Magazine. So, so this is where Brett is totally going to laugh at us as we nerd out in our RPG world and and not our uh, miniatures based forty k and and uh, um, Blood Red Skies world. But yeah, so one of the one of the happiest moments, and I don't know what the nostalgia factor is. I still don't get it. But going back. Flipping open my trunk of shame and having all the old modules for Dungeons and Dragons in there for like, you know, the hill giants, the ice giants, all these different things. Just flipping through those old modules and going, oh, this is so cool. Knowing I'm never going to play D&D again as an adult just because I don't have time. I, I just I, I don't um, I have so many other games to play. Uh, but between that, Star Frontiers, a bunch of those other ones, it was cool. No, I, just yeah. had, I had an extremely sad childhood outside of school. There were no kids where I lived, so I didn't. I yeah, heard well, of some games, especially like obviously uh, Dungeons and Dragons. That was the thing when I was in middle school and stuff, maybe seventh grade. But I never played, so I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I, I grew up in military housing in in Europe, so it was the one thing that you could get a hold of at the Stars and Stripes bookstore was every role playing game you could imagine. And that was at the time when a lot of the, the religious groups were saying D&D was evil and it was the devil and all this kind You're of stuff. You're going and, to hell. And, and my mom was the one mom that was going, uh, my son is reading and doing math for the first time without me telling him to. <laughs> this is not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah so she exactly. actually encouraged it. You know, I was given money to go and buy all that stuff. So I still have I, – I was doing the other, the other day when I was going through the trunk. Same thing as you, Doug. I was going through all the old modules. And um, just remember the module series too, like the Ravenloft series. And, right. Right. Yep. The Temple of Elemental Evil and 
oh my god there was just that was that was like the heyday of incredible fantasy writing well and so i'm gonna throw this out here because this is something i thought about as i was doing kind of the research for tabletop sim and and thinking of things that are fun but aren't aren't tied to Blood Red Skies is a boring game that you just kind of set up and you play again and you play the same scenario you played yesterday and maybe you choose slightly different pilot skills. Uh, but Brett's really alluded to Sandstorm and to using Sandstorm as a campaign and to and to making pilots and, and crews that you can invest in. Because I'll be honest, that's kind of why I like Hornet Leader. I, I don't necessarily like the tactics in Hornet Leader. I don't really like the gameplay in Hornet Leader. But I like the fact that you have a cadre of pilots that go through... Some of them can't hack it and, and, and get kind of weeded out as the combat missions go along. Other ones, you know, you see that, that keep getting put in there and you build fatigue points if you're doing a campaign system. All these all these cool things um, that I, I really want to delve into Sandstorm. But the tough thing is not having a recurring ability to play kind of makes it hard to do a campaign. But Tabletop Sim kind of kind of gives you that ability to go in there, knock out a quick game in a sandstorm kind of scenario and say, okay, let us let me go back and redevelop my pilots and, and see what's changed and, and go through and, and kind of invest a little bit of personal feel into into the characters. I've I mean, ha- oh, sorry, go ahead. I've kind of had a lot of thought about it since I've played a few games on Tabletop Simulator, which just to, you know, kind of clarify, I don't play a whole lot, right? That, that's why I'm like one of the paint guys here. <laughs> it, I play when the three of us all get together. That happens maybe, what, a couple times or so a year? So I don't play often, but this has given me a chance to play more often. And it's made me think about, man, if this became a regular thing, like I'm already starting to think, hey, man, Thursday night could be a good game night if I get somebody who wants to get on and play. And, and so anyway. Oh, my, Jesus, I'll be divorced if we had another night besides podcasting. <laughs> right, right. So it, what it makes me think, though, is, I love playing what I've been able to play, but I can see how it's probably quickly going to evolve. You, you said the word like, uh, you know, where you're invested in the pilot and everything that you've built. Um, the games are one and done games right now, which are totally fun and great, especially at my stage because I'm learning really still how to play better. But uh, maybe once I get to a point after several more games, that may not be as fun. And I think there'll be two evolutions. One, just like you talked about Sandstorm, where you create your own you know force if you will i don't know how else to say it but you know, you go through all those steps and you play them along and level them up and lose guys and all those exciting things happen i can see that being a really exciting uh game method you could share with somebody that you play with regularly and and so you when you're not playing you're thinking about the next game that's coming i mean i could totally relate to that and i think there's going to be another thing that we've already invested in quite a bit already is playing the historical scenarios where you have I don't know if campaign's the right word because unlike maybe Sandstorm as a true campaign that you build and it's maybe fictional in a lot of ways uh, the historical campaign where you kind of play through uh, you know a couple years of battle like the Malta thing or the Stalingrad thing where we've done all that research and you kind of just play it out and maybe some what if things happens but you, you pick a faction and you do it uh, I think there's going to be two distinct sort of uh, evolutions that I can see myself going down with uh, playing more and more. Yeah, I I can see that too. I mean, the campaign stuff is something that really interests me. I just wish we were all closer. So that's the the bummer because I could definitely see myself. Your governor won't let us be closer. I know. That's just the way it works. But, um, you know, the guys, you know, the guys in the Indiana gaming group who were all hardcore 30K players, they're kind of they've kind of all jumped the shark, you know, after the whole freaking 
what went on with Forge World last year and then changed the website and all that, the drama that came with that. And a lot of really good podcasts folding their tent because they just refuse to support the product anymore. And a lot of them have switched over to Battletech and Battletech, they're going through some real problems with their Kickstarter right now because of what's going on in China and stuff's not shipping on time. But I jumped onto that bandwagon too, like everybody up here did, just because it was super cheap for the freaking Battletech game if you did the Kickstarter. And that was one of the things that they were all talking about being really thrilled with was this idea of the campaign play that comes along with the new Battletech and well, having your own force, having your mech pilots that freaking that that's rank how up I and wasted change how I, and unknown yeah. number of years of my life was i played yeah. battletech and then for those that remember it the mech warrior expansion that came out that really was kind of the role-playing game piece behind it all so you could yeah. you could play role-playing game scenarios that didn't involve your mechs that just had you in in personal combat or kind of missions like top secret you know where you could go out and do espionage um but then it also kind of built up the the story behind the characters that piloted your mechs and so that was really fun to me i really kind of enjoyed that because i had my own mercenary unit i had it tied to a specific house temporarily you know things that they would do and it would and it, it really um it once again it made me want to actually play the game rather than oh what scenario are we playing now because guys, I just can't get into the competitive scene. I'm, no. I'm trying hard. I'm really trying. <laughs> well, that was but, the thing I see too. You know, the games, some of the one-offs that have come out from Games Workshop recently, like Necromunda, which me and you bought some models for, but there's just yeah. not really a community in the United States playing it. But when you see the UK players that are playing it, they love it. And they love it for that reason, because it's not just having a one-off game, 2,500 points versus 2,500 points. No, it's it's your gang. And freaking each character's got a story and you've only got a handful of them out there. So, and, so you're going you're going to laugh that that's one of the things that I think is coolest about Sandstorm is that if you if you step back and you stop thinking about Blood Red Skies as static painted forces and you go back and you think kind of like in the in the Necromunda mindset that in Necromunda you always end up buying more gangers than you field because you know you're going to change weapons on some you know you're going to need extra bits because you're going to customize people after they have you know achieved something in the campaign or in the series of games you're playing um, if you think about Blood Red Skies that way and you look at Sandstorm, you actually really need 1,500 points of aircraft, not even counting bombers. So so the free bombers is a whole other point that you need, but you really need to kind of be able to field up to a 1,500-point game if you want to play Sandstorm. Um, and that's not hard if you're buying the, the plastic aircraft, um, the, the hard plastic ones, or even the starter kit plastic ones um, instead of buying resin models. But the cool thing is what that kind of allows you to do is to paint up airplanes and to change them as things happen. So some of your airplanes can take on different characteristics in Sandstorm. So you can get some that are absolute dogs that are absolutely, you know, uh, the, the wrong airplane to pair with a, a low quality pilot. So you can customize the paint job there. There's obviously nose art customization that can go on in there. Uh, there's a lot of cool different things in the system. So I, I think I need to devote some more time once I can break away from Tabletop Sim uh, to really thinking about, you know, how to how to play a uh, sandstorm campaign remotely via tabletop sim so at least you know exercise the campaign system build squadrons that we that we can invest emotion in and then when we get to actually all get back together paint up our squadrons to match so we can play out the rest of the scenarios yeah that could be one of the principal uses for tabletop simulator maybe even beyond uh, this whole lockdown situation yeah, absolutely. It's a quick way to get, you know, a couple reps in, a couple different games, um, build up those squadrons. And, you know, I kind of view it a little bit as as when I went out and looked at D20 and some or Roll20 um, and some of the other websites and, and what they were doing for gaming. 
um, the fact that that your your characters and your squadron and whatever your organization is persists beyond the game uh, and that all of them kind of were built around that roll 20 is obviously very well designed for role-playing games um, but the point is that that the the pieces you push on the board aren't the same as when you're sitting across from all your buddies because because then the reality isn't your one little fighter running out there to attack the two-headed giant uh it's it's the fact of all the backstory that you built that that in role-playing games the the game master dungeon master whatever the the referee has built for you and the same kind of thing in these in these more narrative campaigns for blood red skies Kind of like a World War II version of Blood Bowl or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, see, you know, you've got that with your Johnny Red Squad, and you've got all the uh, garishly painted and, uh, and obnoxious paint job aircraft out there, so it kind of works. Well, we've been chatting for a while. We've uh, covered a lot of the stuff that's going on, things that have inspired us in the last week to keep uh, keep going game-wise. Anything else that you guys have been digging through that have kind of uh, either kicked over old rocks of games that you were interested in or, or historical things you found? Uh, I know Osprey has put out a another series of historical books, and I still am behind and haven't read any of them. Um, but there's a, a lot of goodness out there. Uh, Chris, I think you picked up a couple of those, didn't you? I've done, I've picked up every book that Osprey has given away for free. You have just no because discipline. I don't, no, well, they're free. Well, so, they're you free. know, so it's, it's really it's not just, discipline. You don't you even suck. have to download them. You can, you can, you can do the process and then the email goes in your email thing and you, you don't have to download them right then to whatever device. You can go back to that email whenever. It's basically on your Osprey account and download it at a later time. Nice. So nice. the only book I've read is I read the, um, I just finished the, the Assyrian Blackbeard Infantry one. one? No. <laughs> no. I, I did Blackbeard the Pirate last night, which was a really, really uh, good read. There's some bunch of things about him and that situation in what happened in Ocracroke that, you know, it was just a really good read of how that raid took place and what took place with it. So definitely cash into that. That's been a, that's been a fun thing during the lockdown. I've been reinforcing my love of the 109. I've been reading that uh, 109 versus Yak 1 book that was free on the first week, I think. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't think anybody would argue that the 109 is, you know, the, the titular aircraft in Blood Red Skies, but I don't know. It's just the first one. I, it's what I started with and I just, Love it. I have so many of them painted now, now too. Now we know ending. Brett's top search on Pornhub. <laughs> I was say, the top search in St. John's, Florida for Pornhub, Luftwaffe. <laughs> All right, we have ways that. of making you talk. <laughs> exactly. Whoa, hey, yeah, we're not going to surf that guy. No, German no. porn's best. You know him, right? <laughs> no, no, because no, it's a lot like Hungarian porn. And after, <laughs> yeah. This is, just this is <laughs> going downhill are hungry. Nope, 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 and nope. So we won't even talk about that. But anyway, hey, moving on to some listener questions. Um, so there were a couple good questions uh, thrown out in the uh, in the ready room today. Uh, some stuff, especially about airstrike. Um, questions about scale of targets. So I'll, I'll, I'll address some of the miniature scale questions because um, this continually comes up. Uh, people keep asking, you know, what's what's the best scale uh, for airstrike targets? And I, I think uh, Brett and Chris and I will all say that it's the scale that matches the level of detail you want without being too big on your board. Uh, what's too big on the board? I don't know. I think anything bigger than six inches for a target really kind of distorts the scale of the game and, and, and makes it too easy for, for airplanes to be able to bomb it. So somewhere in the two-inch size for your target base. But what you stick on there is up to you. I mean, holy cow, 185th tanks are cool. The little, you know, Pico armor, you know, two millimeter, three millimeter trains and buildings are awesome. 
Uh, I think my recommendation, once again, to people out there looking for a scale, because I know it's what Brett has done, has been find the scale that allows you to paint it with a level of detail that makes it look cool with the airplanes. Because we know they're not going to match up. You're not going to want a one scale building. It's going to take up too much room. Uh, Brett, you've done a great job painting a lot of the factories and the airfields. Uh, any other recommendations for uh, for terrain scale that you've seen? Oh, not terrain so much, but I was looking recently at tanks, gun pieces, and trucks. And that Pico armor you mentioned, I was it 2 millimeter or 3 millimeter? I, I think there's a 3 millimeter for the vehicles. I know it's 2 for the buildings and everything else. Yeah, I think that 3 millimeter scale is good. And we might have been talking about it a little bit. It's small. But if you, you know, imagine a, um, you know, a round acrylic disc, maybe a clear one, if you could attach some of those painted pieces onto that to reflect like a tank convoy or a truck convoy or, you know, a gun emplacement of some kind, I think those would probably, I haven't done any of those myself, but I, I suspect that they would look really nice. I've just done the, the, like the aircraft hangers and the, uh, factories and the ships that we've talked about, but I think that, I think those would work for rolling stock. Yeah, I, I think a lot of those work really well. And, and once again, it, it all depends on the level of detail. If you're if you're looking to mark a target with a, a single Panzer IV or Tiger tank, sure, pick 125th scale. If you want to mark it with a bunch of vehicles, I recommend the three mil scale because there's a, you can get a lot of vehicles, a lot of diverse things, and you can you can make the base look cool, uh, kind of as you've done, Brett, with putting taxiways for the for the airfields out there. You can do the same thing for roads and, and kind of make it a little stylized out there so it, it looks pretty cool. Um, but that really leads into one of the questions that Daniel asked in the ready room today. Actually, it was like a series of five or six questions. Um, but it was kind of some rules interpretation things of, hey, I'm playing airstrike. Am I missing something here? Uh, and, and you know, I talked to him through a couple things. A couple other people pitched in. Um, but, you know, it's good to see people going out there and really putting airstrike through its paces with somebody who's not a seasoned Blood Red Skies veteran or not a seasoned play tester. Um, sometimes I think one of the biggest weaknesses with small niche games is that if the, if the game is already a small audience then the playtest audience is even smaller. And so, uh, sometimes I, I feel like people assume too readily what, what they understand the rules to say, or, or sometimes they look at something and go, well, that's obvious to me. Well, well it's not obvious to the rest of us. Um, but the fact is there are some really good questions about being able to shoot out there. When can you strafe? Uh, a couple things to remember out there that I'll throw out. So strafing, dive bombing, bombing, and torpedo attacks are all pilot actions. So even though you can shoot air-to-air twice in the phase, once at the beginning and once at the end, um, you only have one part of that phase that is a pilot action. So if you're going to attack a ground target, uh, it's only at the end. But there are kind of some interesting I don't necessarily want to call them loopholes because I think they work out and simulate well, but some some interesting um, tactics, I'll say. So like a Sturmovic uh, that has a whopping speed of five, <laughs> not exactly burning down the, uh, the uh, air with its speed there. Um, so its minimum move is three. So if you can start strafing at six inches, theoretically, if you time it out well, you can shoot twice before you fly past the target. Uh, of course, you expose yourself to a lot of light flak then, and uh, there's there's an interesting play there that some of the most Sturmovic-type targets, like convoys, uh, only have one flak die, and the Sturmovic is armored, which means it takes one die off of any shooting attack against it. Hmm. So it means your flak is ineffective. Uh, so don't be a cheese ball. 
this means you, Daniel. Uh, give a light flak Bullet bonus to your convoy. Soviet airplane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give some light flak bonuses. So put a light flak plus two card or plus four out there uh, and make it uh, a little challenging for your Sturmovics out there attacking the uh, the convoy. But absolutely valid point. Fly slow um, and and you can, you can make two shooting attacks uh, on that ground target before you have to overfly it and uh, be out of the area. There are a couple other uh, rules tweaks we talked about um, and some interesting... Uh, interesting situations you could get in so if you theoretically had dive bombers that had a decent forward firepower you could opt to dive on a target from advantaged to neutral release your weapons and then the next turn dive from neutral to disadvantage and strafe the target not not against the rules that it is thoroughly legal by the way the rules are written but um, you know with most of the aircraft you have to ask is that worth just shooting and maybe getting uh, some point hits uh, at the strafe, or would you rather dive all the way and get the extra attack dice uh, for your your dive bomb attack? So once again, a lot of things that are that are people going out there kind of poking at edges of the rules, saying what are the the play test uh, uh, things that might have been overlooked. Um, and I think that's one of those things that we'll have to play a lot more uh, airstrike ourselves. I know dive bombers, especially. I have not played a lot of dive bombers. Played a little bit of torpedo bombers, a lot of regular bombers. Um, but not a whole lot of dive bombers. So we'll have to see how those all play out. Okay, so we've almost run ourselves out of time after uh, talking about a couple of listener questions and a couple of things we've seen in the ready room. Uh, Chris and Brett, I want to thank you guys for uh, sharing your evening with me, a chance to talk about Blood Red Skies. And uh, Brett, I promise to stop ditching you on Tabletop Sim and actually help you put a few reps in. And, you know, Chris, I, I'm not sure. Maybe you have to write a letter to the governor to get her to allow you to play tabletop sim I, with I us. I probably do. The good thing is I'll be here for podcasts because there's nothing else in the state I'm allowed to do. Until she pulls my internet because she needs it for something. Right, right. So in, enjoy that in the People's Republic up there. So good luck. We're all counting on you. <laughs> but thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, hanging out on the show and talking about Blood Red Skies. And to all the listeners out there, uh, please uh, go out and, first of all, talk about all the stuff going on in the Ready Room. Ask questions. Uh, stir up some interest there. Uh, if you are curious about the Gathering of Eagles going on, uh, maybe the first week of June, maybe it'll also be a virtual gathering. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more probably next week uh, when we know more and some more details and some more plans have been set. Um, but go out and uh, and feel free to ask us questions about what's going on, what are we going to do, because the big picture is if we can all get together, we'll have a gathering to play Blood Red Skies, talk tactics, drink beer, have a good time. And if we can't all get together, if everyone is still isolated, you know what? We're going to do some stuff online. We have Tabletop Sim. We have Discord. We have abilities to stream and to to talk about stuff real time and to either teach painting classes, talk tactics, do whatever we need to do. Uh, But we're going to get together at least amongst the U.S. Blood Red Skies community. And you U.K. people are invited too, along with the rest of the world, um, when we do it virtually. So uh, we're definitely looking to get together and at least stir up some interest and uh, build some community. Thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. And y'all have a uh, good week and be safe. Wash your damn hands.